Section 7 of Irish Idols by Jane Barlow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 7. Adi spoke with sincere conviction and a wanted authoritativeness, which did not fail to impress Stacy, and through many succeeding days she clung to the color sergeant hypothesis as desperately as if it had been a life-boy instead of a straw in the long dark evenings when it was too cold to lie down away from the fire on the puddly floor and in the bleak mornings when life walking up found naught the answer persistently elicited by computations of happiness in prospect a result which eighteen years old is prone to regard as a reductio ad impossible stacy sometimes shut out intrusive despairs with the help of adi's glowing picture only it invariably happened that the martial figure flaring and glittering along the bog road turned before he came very near into just dan himself in his old scarecrow tatters without any splendor or brilliancy at all she had much need in truth of whatever cheering figments either faith or fancy could frame for this winter was a pitiless season in lisconnel and its inhabitants one december night they all shivered sorely in their lairs of heather and rags as if the breath of a bitter frost were abroad still in the morning no traces of such were visible unless you noticed that the lingering brier and bracken leaves seemed suddenly to have been dipped in fiery vivid scarlet and orange but when the potatoes for the next meal were gathered faces lengthened and heads shook for experienced eyes at once recognized signs of a frost-biting that must entail a serious shrinkage of estimated supplies and soon after that they began to draw omens from the flights of birds flocks mainly of seagulls small and great who came swooping over the murk of the bog lighting on it in patches of foam scattered momentarily in a flickering of white wings as they fled on further inland herons too passed heavily and gloomily flapping and croaking and long trains of wild duck scudding by like trails of smoke that knew where it was going till they dwindled into blurred pencil marks on the horizon all these if they did not exactly belong to the nation of unfortunate and fatal birds were watched coming and going by foreboding eyes as the harbingers of powerful severe weather when they do be that plenty and sure enough before christmas there was deep snow it came wavering across the bogland on a northwest wind and lay strewn at first in handfuls and then in armfuls till at last a huge lead-coloured cloud appeared to shatter itself sheer over lisconnel like as if to quote pat ryan you were crumbling a soft clod of clay between your two hands and thenceforward all was one blank of white only broken here and there by the black mouth of a bog hole even these filled eventually 
as the water in them froze hard and made of each a secret resting place for the whirling drifts pitfalls into one of which the quigley's fawn-coloured goat floundered down poor wretch to her smothering death for the snow was accompanied by such a biting frost as seldom grips lisconnel and the tiny dry flakes and granules seemed to be ground fine and driven in tangible mists of stinging dust on the wide wailing storm it's a good chance we're gettin to understand the sayin when you see the snow like salt and mail your food and fire be apt to fail brian kilfoyle said one day ruthfully kicking at a glittering powdery drift which had sifted under the doyne's rickety door into their house where he was talking to stacy and her mother brian who is normally a big burly man at that time had assumed in common with his neighbors the aspect of an incomplete structure a framework with much filling out left to do it's seven weeks lyin on us now since christmas and here's candlemas with nary a sign of the change yet but i'm glad to see you holdin up so well again it ma'am och indeed i'm keepin elegant and grand thank god said mrs doyne nervously fingering the largest hole in her frayed-out apron but as for stacy there the crature her face this minute isn't the breath of the palm of me hand the two eyes of her'll presently be runnin into one stacy shrank further into the background at the sound of her own name and brian kilfoyle said ah sure young things like her do be easy perished ay and the old people too there's me poor mother she and little jim since the bad turn he took a while ago they don't seem to have an atom of warmth left in them scarce a wink they sleep at night with the cold though we do give them every rag we can contrive our hearts are fairly broke with them for me mother if we don't mind her will be slippin' the wisp of an old cloak off her onto one of the childer and gettin' her death and that jim does be creepin' from one to the other like a lost dog at a fair tryin' for a taste of heat somewheres the misfortunate little spillane his hands grabbin' you to be just dabs of ice but devil a thrinane more have we got to put on them there was a painful pause and then mrs doyne said apologetically i wish to goodness gracious brian i could offer you the loan of air an old wrap but indeed it's hard set we are man to keep the life from freezin stiff in ourselves these times with the most we've got to be sure to be sure ma'am brian said in hurried deprecation how would you sure we must all shift for ourselves the best way we can and we'll do right enough once this blamed black frost quits a hold brian had now carried out the purpose of his call but he could not betray the fact by immediate departure so he lingered gossiping in the doorway began's sleepin up at widdy mcgurk's these couple of nights back did you hear tell he began she got that scared and lonesome there be herself she couldn't abide it for mad bell was as we know absent and the dummy had been some years dead so they were sayin', said Mrs. Doyne, but look O'Brien, lowering her voice solemnly. Div you know was there anything special frightened her? 
well yes he answered in a reluctant sort of mumble a foot going up and down along be her door and nobody on the road and something that shook the latch and let a keen and never a breath of wind stirring leastwise that's the story she has but just you tell me how many nights in the year there is without a waft of wind going through it and as for them bastes of goats times and again i've mistook a one of them pattin by for something in brogues howsomever what fairly terrified her was a voice that keep callin ann big ann imitating first one neighbour and then another and different in a, a manner from them all she says twas such hideous clear moonlight she durstn't look out and she lay in a cold tremble till the morning listenin to a tappin on the window she'd stopped up the pane with her old saucepan lid for afraid she might see something that was rattlin belike saints shield us around said mrs doyne crossing herself we'd be well put off if there was nothin worse than saucepan rattlin you've heard tell what happened young mick ryan about holy eve when he'd a crib set for snipe be the river ryan only said ay ay uninvitingly but she could not forego the recital just lifted a basket he was when he looked up and if there wasn't one of them standin on the opposite bank right front of him wid only the flow of the bit of stream between them and the other comin jiggin over along the strip of field not a stone's throw off troth poor mick thought he couldn't get his heels out of it fast enough i wonder he didn't lose his wits for good when he fetched home his people thought he was blind drunk och mercy what it all's yon out there brian she interrupted herself suddenly clutching him by the arm and pointing through the open door far out upon the blanched waste something there was moving dimly in the thickened light of the gloaming but whether the form of man or beast or of neither could not be told brian without speaking went a step outside and seemed to measure the distance which intervened between his own door and the place where he stood it's just merely one of the goats traipsing around he said then he made a plunge and rushed towards his cabin across the clogging snow stumbling and tripping in a headlong haste for which there was nothing apparent to account mrs doyne banged and bolted the door behind him and when long afterwards her two sons came home they were obliged to kick and shake it for some time with much strong language uttered in unmistakably familiar tones before courage enough was screwed up inside to give them admission on the next morning mrs doyne coming in with an icicle-fringed bucket sustained another shock of a different kind stacy was sitting with folds of brown stuff spread about her and with needle and thread in hand it was the material got for her wedding gown cut out by biddy ryan who is queer and cute about such things and partially sewn together by stacy's mother before the day when the girl had passionately implored that it might be put away out of her sight since when it was lain hidden underneath the dresser i was considerin the skirt would make a little sort of frock like for the kilfoyle's gym stacy said in explanation tis bad to be thinkin of 
the bit of an imp perishin all night then the length of grey holland'd make a petticoat might help to keep the life in old mrs kilfoyle i'd be sorry anything took her the old woman had soothed stacy's spirit by expressing confidence in the honesty of dan and there'll be enough wincy left yet to ridy up a body for your ugly old self oh honey but supposing you might be wantin it one of these days after all said mrs doyne unable to refrain from a protest against this implied abandonment of hope never a want i'll want it said stacy he's dead and gone mother jewel tis a sin to lave it lyin up there's a beautiful warmth in it and i've set me mind on it uncommon so mrs doyne assented as she would to most things upon which stacy with her great wistful eyes had set her mind this acquiescence however not barring sundry bitter thoughts of a dan hypothetically in the land of the living stacy sewed hard all day with horrible gobble stitches it must be owned for her education had been sadly neglected in many of its branches besides which the cold would scarcely let her hold the needle by the time the daylight failed she had finished two very quaint garments whose cut would not bear criticism but warm and stout of fabric she felt impatient to convey them to the kilfoyles yet as she looked out over the gleaming snow which had drawn all the light down out of the blank sky some uncanny thoughts came before her mind so vividly that she shrank from traversing even those few rods of ground alone and she determined to wait until her brothers came in but as the evening wore on and they did not arrive she grew more and more fidgety it would be a cruel pity to let jim freeze through another whole night his small cold hands seemed to keep dragging her towards the door and at last she said to herself that she would chance it maybe there wasn't a word of truth in them queer stories all the while she'd never seen aught watching her time therefore she stole out unobserved with her bundle into the moonlight she wished it had not been so bright just to run on blindly through dark shadows which kept discreetly hidden whatever unchancy objects they might hold would have seemed easier than to face that broad white glare where anything dreadful would be seen so very plainly the rush was made however without incident and then stacy sped out of the kilfoyles cabin almost as precipitately as she had sped into it running away from the bewildered gratitude of its inhabitants and the importunate memories and contrasts which this final disposition of her wedding gear did not fail to arouse but when she had gone only a few paces from their door a sudden panic seized her she was compelled by a sort of irresistible fascination to look fearfully round over the wilds that lay stark about and about her as solitary as the unfathomed blue-black deeps with their frost-burnished full moon and light-drowned star-flecks wafts of wind came murmuring from the far distance here and there sweeping up a whirl of powdery flakes as if some one lifted a corner of the great white sheet and let it fall again in a rumpled fold 
the wind of course was full of sighs and voices and shadows wavered and flitted on the snow how could she tell what they might be suppose she should meet that strange little crying child whom people said sometimes ran after them when they were late abroad on the bog or the limping old woman who laughs in your face as she goes by terror whirled through stacy's thoughts like an autumn gust among a drift of fallen leaves she began to dart along as fast as the deep snow a nightmare-like drag would permit and she kept her eyes fixed desperately on the track she trod in quite near her own door however she had to slacken her pace because across her path stretched two furrow-shaped snowdrifts into whose ungaged depths she dared not plunge her bare foot and as she paused a moment irresolute a voice close by spoke abruptly you'll have to get over them it said in standing leaps as the devil went through a throne stacy did not scream or fly for she knew the voice and it was one which would have reassured her in the teeth of a north american blizzard or the heart of a west indian cyclone so it's yourself dan she said dan o'byrne it was a tall gaunt ragged figure standing up blackly just beyond the sharp-cut shadow of the doyne's cabin wall ay tis so he said with an anxious hurry in his manner and are you thinking entirely too bad of me stacy that i stayed away so long and you not hearin' a word i'm told except the letter i sent be paddy lochlin the stuckhorn that you never got meself it is sure enough and pounds and pounds and something i stopped to get you up at larn only there's the use of one hand mostly destroyed on me and i don't know tellin you the truth if i ever walk any better than a trifle lame wid me left foot just a trifle och but stacy a store maybe you'd liefer have naught to say to such an old bastoon of misery sure it's all one said stacy why you stayed away since it's home you are again and the sorrow o much i'd be mindin if you hadn't a hand or a foot left on you at all at all a speech whereof the first clause sounds rather poor-spirited and the last distinctly unfeeling but to which dan took no exception he could give a more detailed account of himself however to less incurious friends whom he told how on finishing his engagement at the peat factory a temptingly lucrative job had lured him over the straits to scotland whence he intended to return about holy eve which change of plan he announced in a letter home confided to one patty laughlin who proved an unreliable messenger the truth is that patty cliver and clane forgot his friend's letter in his own bustle about transmitting his earnings home in postal orders and getting himself shipped back as a pauper to the most conveniently situated union a thrifty if not strictly legitimate mode of travelling occasionally adopted by itinerant harvest men how just before he should have started for home he met with a bad accident while helping to rescue the factory foreman's son out of a whirl of jag-toothed wheels and hissing bands like so many spiders webs all set a-goin by the devil 
and had lain for a couple of months crippled in hospital whence he had sent no word lest they be fretted thinking he was took for death away from them all uncommon kind people ran his account of his experiences there and everything done as agreeable as they could contrive barrin that them doctors would be looking in of a morning and saying that leg had a right to come off to-morrow or he'll lose them two fingers anyway as easy and pleasant as if the flesh wasn't creeping on your bones to hear them but sure they were intendin' no harm it's the nature of them to keep choppin' and sawin' the only wonder is that any one gets out of a place where they do be plenty wid enough of his body left to hold his soul in then how recovering unmulked after all of limb he had straightway repaired home bringing with him the pounds and pounds presented to him by the grateful foreman a suit of clothes much too good to think of wearing and the promise of permanent employment at sterry and lawson's whenever he chose to return even so dan's homecoming could not be compared for external brilliancy with that of the color sergeant indeed after the first raptures of restoration had subsided the elder dan cast many a regretful glance at the halting gait and sling-suspended arm of his tall son while Audie rafferty sought to slur over the refutation of his own conjectures by insisting on the fact that if the lad had took off to the most outrageous wars ever was he'd more likely than not have come out of them with less destruction done on him than might be perceived now young dan's native air seemed however to possess very salubrious qualities and before he had been three weeks at home his step began to regain its firmness and strength and suppleness returned to his limp wrist and stiffened fingers his cure was practically complete by the time that the black frost had broken and the snow had vanished off the bog leaving only its wraith on the frail blossomed slow bushes and the wedding day had come i met the bridal party proceeding towards the town on farmer hilferty's loaned jaunting car and it struck me that i had never seen so many people at once on any vehicle i caught a glimpse of jim kilfoyle in a queer brown frock sitting on the well and just as they passed he was saying sternly i declare biddy sheridan if you don't leave holdin' me on i'll let the greatest old yell you ever heard and terrify the horse this was a morning in easter week and lady day in spring too a coincidence which led the widow mcgurk to observe that you might meet as good fortune marryin on one lady day as another a happy-go-lucky sentiment which lisconnel appears disposed to adopt as a piece of local proverbial philosophy chapter nine backwards and forwards should it be concluded from facts related in the foregoing chapters that truth for truth's sake is rather at a discount in lisconnel i can scarcely gainsay the inference if letting on romancing a bit and just humbuggin with a little blarneyin and slutherin thrown in are overstreetly judged we shall be found in a perilous state but there is one point on which the veracity of its inhabitants like that of many other people 
similarly situated seems exposed to less warrantable suspicion it is commonly received opinion that the dwellers in any remote and lonely district are largely responsible for whatever growths of ghostly legend may flourish there these although they do not perhaps spring directly from anybody's invention are it is held sedulously fostered and cultivated and handed down with additions and improvements from generation to generation who take a sort of pride and pleasure in them we have all heard how the peasants gather round their hearths on eerie winter evenings and beguile the time with the recital of marrow freezing ghost stories to which they contribute at any rate wilfully credulous minds no doubt this custom does really exist in some places but i can confidently assert that it is not to be found in lisconnel and failing personal observation i should venture to think its general prevalence antecedently improbable people who live their lives in solitary places of the earth under a rigorous enforcement of all the penalties of adam are little likely to hanker after the introduction of any supernatural crooks into their lot to voluntarily fill the wild blasts wailing round their poor hobbles with unearthly shrieks and lamentations that bid them spend their long night imagining some fear or beset their fields with prowling phantoms that cause them on their lonely road to walk in doubt and dread in lisconnel certainly there is none of the voult de chipi on the contrary such things are if accepted at all accepted under protest there is a marked tendency to resist the admission of spectres to the hamlet and its purlieus and to resent any obstinate assertion of their presence jenny ryan for instance will fight you any day supposing you a possible combatant to uphold his contention that he never saw or heard aught on the bogland where that it might be an old white goat glimmering in a stake of moonlight or a sagal letting a screech going by and a considerable ingenuity is expended in euphemerizing uncanny personages and explaining away mysterious appearances how much of whatever belief in spectral hauntings has survived these critical methods may be the unconscious work of imagination on which opposition sometimes acts as a stimulus is of course a different question you have seen already some traces of its survival and indeed if you consult a certain section of the community you will learn facts which you would if i am not mistaken be glad to disprove did you happen to live in lisconnel you will hear not only of fearsome wanderers met afield but of strange forms found cowering by the hearth at home and stealing away to lurk in dusky nooks whence no one dares more than surmise their ultimate withdrawal of a shadow lying black all day across the threshold with nothing visible to cast it but falling ice-cold upon whomsoever makes bold to step over it of a lame old woman who comes tapping at your door it may be in the broad noonlight a harmless seeming old creature you think until she looks into your eyes and laughs a laugh 
you will not soon forget the sound of all the lore in short connected with those beings whom lisconnel terms collectively more or less under its breath them wands the origin of these visitations now lies obscured in the history of such old unhappy things that it has come to be narrated in more various ways than i can here recount but one of our local tragedies said to be still terribly commemorated did actually occur within the recollection of anybody who has had the sorrowful fortune to live through the great famine year that is some half century since it was down at clayson's boreen a few miles along the road towards the town where a skeleton cabin stands to-day that a man driven distraught with the famine fever barred himself and three or four small children into their room while the mother went in quest of food and when she returned with some bread at nightfall through the snow the poor wretch would not open to her so all night she beat on the door and called to her crying children and the next day the whole family were found cold and dead the father and children in the cabin and the mother outside half buried in a drift heaped against the wall a loaf untouched and in her hand the stone with which she had been battering the door the cabin has been ever since deserted and its doorstep is a ruinous gap yet still on many a night they say this miserable woman may be seen standing by it wringing her hands and buffeting the empty air if you can take to your heels and fly before you have beheld anything more you will have met with nothing worse than a fright but if she turns and beckons you to come and help her you could be given no surer warning of black troubles in store this is just what did befall brian kilfoyle one spring evening not long after young dan's wedding on his dusky way home from o'byrne's forge with amended loy brian's belief in ghostly manifestations is as a rule waveringly reluctant and he would probably soon have reasoned himself into a conviction that he was only after mistaking something in the darkness of the light had not his mood been already downcast and foreboding on account of his mother's failing health for the past winter had proved a crucial test to all lisconnel's feeble folk and few of them had struggled through it unscathed some of them indeed had come out on the wrong or at any rate the other side the pat ryans had lost their youngest twin child which was still of a size to be called by the neighbors indifferently joe and molly and which used to trot a long way after either of its parents when it saw them going anywhere old mick ryan too had died at the end of several days levity so deep that it was impenetrable by even the tobacco to purchase which his daughter elderly biddy ran into debt besides nearly walking herself off her legs in a forced march to the town and back under these circumstances brian was in the humour to take quick alarm at his mother's weakness and flagging spirits and now his impression that the dark figure standing in the ruined doorway had turned round 
and beckoned to him through the twilight put a finishing touch to his uneasiness so much so that he resolved upon the extreme measure of seeking qualified medical advice and to that end obtained a red ticket from father rooney whereupon to lisconnel came dr ward being on leave a youthful locum tenens whose amiable qualities created a favourable impression his report upon his patient was to the effect that he could see little amiss with her sure it's active and robustus enough your mother seems to be for a body of her time of life he was thus represented as expressing himself by mrs bryan but in course it stands to reason she isn't altogether as young as she was a while ago not having a turn for obvious pleasantries he had given up adding in such cases she ought to have plenty of strengthening food and goodness guide you sir says i to him sure she wasn't that afore ever you were born or thought of says i continued mrs bryan who appeared somewhat illogically to consider this repartee refutation of the doctor's cautiously worded statement her husband on the other hand felt by no means disposed to cavil at the verdict which relieved his fears so happily that when he escorted the young man to his horse he observed with strong emphasis it's real delightful weather we're getting now your honour although the bog was just then livid with low creeping flocks of pale mist and the day had been as consistently dismal and lack-lustre a one as ever spent its drizzling hours in what we call neither raining nor letting it alone the last saturday in the following june was a shining contrast a morning risen behind lattices of fretted snow-sheen which melted with ever-widening interspaces far up and away into faint lines and filmy streaks like the clouding on and agate until while the greensward underfoot was yet all beaded with prisms of dew the lapis lazuli cup overhead curved down without a fleck from brim to brim it was to be rather an eventful day for lisconnel by reason of a fair held in the town at which several of the neighbours proposed to sell their pigs and poultry lisconnel always sells its few pigs about this season not because they are fat but because the need of a little ready money becomes coercive in the month before potato digging the place does not i must admit excel in swine a fact hardly to be marvelled at when one considers how much plain living is perforce practised by the animals during their sojourn among us even if it is accompanied by a corresponding high thinking which must remain a matter of conjecture that does not influence market prices seldom in the case of a lisconnel pig will any amount of hopeful prodding and poking establish in its owner's mind a comfortable assurance of good condition though a refractory beast who has to be hauled shrieking out of a hole or lifted over a dyke is conventionally described as the weight of any ten bigora yet however humble our own opinion of our wares may be it is trying to find the same confirmed for us sarcastically by other people 
we do not like to be greeted after a long trudge by inquiries such as wasn't it maybe a coursin match you were intendin' to show them at all the while or might you ever ha happen to take notice that in some places the pigs do have a fashion of wearing their bones on the wrong side of their skins or what at all do you be feedin' the beasts on up at lisconnel old scythe blades belike or is it an odd taste of a slim-handled hayrake these questions have before now been settled temporarily with the help of fists and blackthorns the market folk set off betimes this morning and as many of their neighbours were out on the bog cutting turf the place grew very quiet when once the squealing and squawking which attended their progress had died distantly away it felt like a sunday to the stayers at home and it was partly this and partly the glorious weather that brought them together in a session on an undulating bank of fine sward interspersed with boulders set flat in heathery rims a favourite holiday lounging place not far from the kilfoyle's cabin old mrs kilfoyle was among them brisker again in response to the call of june but physically almost extinguished under the folds of her daughter-in-law's ample blue cloak with which her winter's indisposition had been made a long-sought pretext for investing her much against her will even peter sheridan made a shift to hobble out of doors not leaving behind him his rheumatics and bad scran to them whose companionship is however least obtrusive when he can sit quiet in the warm clasp of the sun its beams came along and slanting still when the two last of the party bound for the fair were almost ready to start the widow mcgurk and brian kilfoyle brian was going as a buyer not a seller having disposed of his pig a week ago when finding that small pigs went cruel dear he deferred the purchase of its successor in hopes to getting a better bargain later on but the widow had on her hands both her pig and a clocking hen with which a clutch of eggs being unattainable she had regretfully resolved to part brian had waited to assist her in the transportation of this live stock but the hen with a perverse prescience characteristic of her race had at the last moment taken ungainly flight and was now being pursued by himself and all the children out of arms meanwhile mrs mcgurk ready equipped for her journey paused by the wayside group with her lean pig in a string we do right to leave that old rogue of a hen behind us she said uneasily while her beast fell to grazing industriously as if bent upon adding at least a shilling to his market value she'll only be delaying the man and spoiling of his chances och they'll grab her presently no fear she can't keep that work up very long try her best said old mrs kilfoyle placidly listening to the receding sounds of the pursuit sit you down mrs mcgurk ma'am and be taking the weight off your feet while you can i hope you'll have good luck with that creature there he seems to be a tidy level little beast i wish i may do as well as brian himself 
done last day wid his said the widow twas a grand price entirely he got out of them and if he can pick up a weeny one anyways raisonable he'll be right enough please god and we've a notion what else he'll be bringin' home wid him this evenin' over and above haven't we now mrs ryan she added glancing at mrs kilfoyle and waking with weather-beaten archness troth have we said judy ryan the same sort of notion i've got of what mr Coore does be weighin out of a yellow-papered box with black scrums on it and charges eight pence the quarter pound for and blows open a purple bag to put it in and then if your kettle's boilin and your water's not smoked twill be yourselfs to blame if you haven't an illigant cup of tay judy was happily unconscious that the end of her enigma had escaped rather prematurely from its subtle unfoldures ay ay said the little old woman looking round her from friendly face to face in a pleased flutter brian does be very good and everybody smiled and winked and nodded approval being fully in the secret of brian's intentions everybody except biddy sheridan who looked suddenly disconsolate as if at a pang of jarred memory where she sat peeling flakes of shaggy grey lichen off a sun-warmed stone me brother mick she said in a semi-soliloquizing murmur he very belike a been thinkin of bringin home a bit of baccy this night wid him too if there was e'er a one left to set store by it mick never begrudged aught he could do for his old father i'll say that for him it wasn't in him not when he had his own way there was just a tinge of resentment in the last words and bedad now biddy her sister-in-law's tone was undisguisedly deprecating bedad now woman alive nobody could lay it agin us that we either of us iver begrudged the poor old man god be good to him bit or sup or any trifle of warmth or comfort we had the given of i'm not goin for deny that i might be a bit put past me patience goodness forgive me now and again when times was bad to see his old pipe puff puffin twas in a way like throwin the childer's scrap of food behind the fire according to my considerin mrs kilfoyle's falsetto flute piping interposed before biddy could reply that baccy's a humbuggin kind of old stuff sure that's plain on the face of it for except it was lettin on to be something different from itself who'd give a brass farthin for the likes of it a little black-lookin lump you've as much botheration gettin a smoulder of red out of it as if it was a wet sod of turf and risin such a smell fay you might think they'd a cartload of praty horns burnin in the pipe-bowl only i'd a deal liefer have that for a cent och but i remember it in the fields at home but the fact of the matter is smokin's just a notion the creatures have when they get taken up wid it tis the same to them as a peaceable sort of drunkenness and puts the thought of the troubles they're in the middle of out of their heads many's the time i'd think meself biddy when i'd see your poor father sittin inside there wid his feet in a puddle of rain and the cold wind freezin mad and he lookin fit to drop and he contented himself all the while wid the old pipe that was near shakin out of his hand the creature 
Many's the time I'd be thinkin' tis a poor case to have nothin' between yourself and all the divil's work about you better than a few streels of backy smoke. Och, girl, we've no call to go wish any one back again within his reach that's after givin' him the slip for good and all, and needn't be schemin' ways to disremember himself and his tormentin' tricks. That's the truth, ma'am, said Peter Sheridan hoarsely at her elbow. I dunno, then, said Mrs. McGurk, who stood fronting the assembly with her elongated shadow, grotesquely deflected against the sunny bank, and who evidently entered her protest from the sense of duty. I dunno how you're rightified in making sure you'll be shut of the devil as soon as you quit out of this be any manner of means. Bedad, it may be quite the other way. My opinion of him is you never can tell where he'll have you dead or alive. For anything we know, he might be doing as much again us one place as the other, or maybe more, and bad luck to him. Well, it's clear enough to me, said Mrs. Kilfoyle, and the way I look at it is this. There's little misdoubtin that the devil's plenty of sense, however, he came by it, and knows what he's about, God forgive him, as well as you or me. And he wouldn't be distressin' himself the way he is to keep annoyin' people if he didn't perceive that it was here he's gettin' his best chance of doin' mischief on us and nowhere else. He wouldn't give himself that much trouble. You may depend if he thought he'd have us readier to his hand, merely be waitin' till the breath was out of one's body. Not he. He's too cute. For look at the Carrions honour him. Look at the contrivances he has, and the inventions. Sure there's nothing big or little he wouldn't be for meddlin' in, though it might be a matter you'd never think he'd need to concern himself with, except he was fairly drove to it. Even so, he hasn't it all his own way, for whenever his betters have the time, now and again, to be keepin' an eye on him, he's bound to quit interferin', and everything goes pleasant enough, and no thanks to him. I bedad, he gets a disappointment of an odd while, like any one else in this world. And mark my words, he wouldn't be spending so much of his days in it, if there was e'er another place he could regulate more to his mind. Unless twas for diversion-like, suggested Judy Ryan, the same way that quality do come straightin' on the bog with their guns, and wadin' up to the knees in the rivers after the bits of birds and fish, and they wid more than they can ate at home all the while, if it was that that ailed them. Diversion? Why, woman, dear, in course, it's diversion to him. What else should it be? But what I was sayin' is that it's here he has to come for it, same as quality after their shootin'. And when once we've took off with ourselves, he's no more chanced agin us than they have at a flock of snipe they're after missin' and scarin'. And, signs on it, he's no ways wishful to be seein' folk he's plaguin' quit. If it's a young body now that's to be took, a bit of a child or a fine lad, who'll have plenty breakin' their hearts after them, that be like suits the old nagur right well. He's nothing to say again it. They'll go, they'll go fast enough. But there's a many misfortunate creature that unless the devil does his endeavours to keep them alive in their misery, I don't know who would. 
true for you ma'am said peter sheridan again you might say so if you'd whiles feel the life was skivered into your body wid all the sharp ends of aches and pains or else you'd be fit to stretch yourself out easy and away wid you do not say such a thing then father said his daughter peg looking piteously at him and all at once feeling like a parricide as she bethought her how she had only last night assented to her stepmother's proposition that himself was gettin uglier tempered wid every day went over his head but he's bound to let go a hold of you one time or another peter please god mrs kilfoyle urged consolatorily whatever villainy he does on you the end of it is he has to give it up at a bad job and leave you to go along in pace arrah now will no talk content you but dyin in the devil remonstrated mrs doyne to be hearin you one ud think we were just sittin here a minute to wait till our coffins come up the road that the old wan had had the bespeakin of she glanced furtively round the broad skyscape and then huddled herself closer into the shelter of the hollow bank tightening her skimpy shawl across her shoulders sure i was meanin no harm wid it said the old woman apologetically but we might easy wished about him for that matter there's a good few things the devil has nothin to say to or dyin either though i dunno why people need mostly think so bad of that it's maybe the sort of trouble there is shiftin from one place to another that sets them agin it ay said mrs quigley some botheration there's apt to be gettin in and out of anything if it's only elbowing your way out of chapel when there's a throng at mass and twill be right at the door you'll get the most crowdin and pushin and squeezin fit to reeve the old rags off of your back but just the next step beyond it you're all the world clear before you a room to be dancin jigs in if that was what you were after crowdin is it said biddy ryan ah jabbers there's no crowdin about it that i can see musha it's part of the contrariness of the whole concern that so long as you keep livin there'll be people all about you galore day out and day in wid the childer bawlin and screechin and the lads quarrelin and bangin about and everything all through other under your feet till you're fairly moided and thinkin you'd be glad enough to find air a little hole away off be yourself for peace and quiet but when you come to quittin them all and taken off to nobody can rightly tell where and you feelin that queer and lost you'd be ready to put up wid any company you could get if it was only a brute beast och then there's never a soul you'll have a chance of along wid you sorrow a mortal one lonesome or no lonesome it's be yourself you're bound to go that's the notion young people like you do have said mrs kilfoyle who remembered biddy's grizzled locks on a downy fluff but be the time you've lived as long as i and seen as many comin and goin and stayin away you'll find it's behind you that you're leavin the most of the lonesomeness seems to me twould have saved a power of work if almighty god would ha had been content to make the one job of it 
and stick us all down wherever it was we were meant to stop without any shifting us back and forwards said annie sheridan who had come up with a large turf creel on his shoulders and crouching under it on the top of the bank had somewhat the aspect of a straighty lodged hermit crab it's the same as if you were to be planting your potatoes in half a dozen different places before you'd made your mind up to the right one and that's a queer way of doing business perhaps you've no call to be in a hurry be tight lad to find yourself settled in a place you're bound for quoth mrs mcgurk grimly for andy was not in her good graces maybe not he said undoubling himself to aim a conjectural cuff at his half-sister rose whom he heard trying to tilt over his creel from behind but whether or no where's the sense of it well sure for one thing if people were to have been always in the good place they mightn't ever know the differ said judy ryan coming in first while her neighbours were still casting about for hypotheses and supposin said andy swinging his legs unimpressed where to be the harm of not knowing the differ when there was never a differ to know judy was not prepared to elucidate this point and looked her perplexity who said there was any sense in it demanded peter sheridan glumly as like as not there's none he was staring straight before him seemingly in at the black doorway not many paces distant out of which he had painfully crawled ah now i declare i dare say that's it glory be to goodness said judy brightening up as if piously relieved at this solution of the difficulty very belike there's no sense in it at all it's just the will of god and we needn't be concerning ourselves about that anyhow said mrs quigley eh lads dear we'll all get sorted right enough one way or the other mrs kilfoyle said summing up rather hurriedly for it struck her that the discussion was developing a note of acrimony we're better off at all events than if we were to be beginning with the good and ending with the bad and here's brian after catching the old hen bad manners to her then be giving him such a dance said mrs mcgurk brian had his captive in a dishevelled wicker basket from beneath the wobbling lid of which she frequently thrust her witless black head to squawk at an imminent risk of guillotining since he suppressed her demonstrations as promptly as if there had been applause in a court of justice begorra ma'am he said if there was anybody down beyond offering a stiff price for a sort of old screech owl with springs in the legs of her like a grasshopper's when she's tired flying up over your head like an eagle you've a right to make your fortune this day it's lucky i thought to give nora the handkerchief wid the bit of money in it afore she went on for afraid it might get joggled out of me somehow shankin down but it's steppin we ought to be good-bye to you kindly mother and keep us a sup of hot water boilin the widow twitched away her pig from his grazing which caused him to exchange his appreciative harumphs for protestant squeals and they were all three soon out of sight behind the ridge of the knockon there'll be no great while overtaking the others at that gate of goin said biddy ryan och 
but tis a long dragon stretch of road weary on it and lengthens itself out every time you go it but there's none of us will have tramped it as often as yourself mrs kilfoyle ma'am be like no me dear said mrs kilfoyle considerin all the years start i've had of the hold of yous sure i was no age at all you may say when first we travelled it this end of it wasn't rightly finished faith the sconnel was but a poor lookin place in those days and for a while after we did be livin here we always called it the road home because twas along it we came out of the old place in the county clare then if we wanted to keep the childer pacified that was mostly small rampagin spalpeens we'd only to let on we were settin out back again and they'd trot along till they were tired but the day me father was buried down beyant nothing we could do or say would persuade the creatures that he hadn't just gone home to fetch our couple of cows deed poor man he fretted terrible about the little black curry he left behind rosine de he called her and they did be lookin out a great while expectin him to come drivin her along do you see the white stone biddy up there again the edge of the headland that's where little taddy me youngest brother had sit watchin many a day and had me poor mother distracted more betoken would runnin tumblin in to see her like a bit of a puppy yellin that his father was comin up the road it's a quare imp of a child that he was that went to the mackerel fishin and was drowned in galloway bay i just can mind hearin talk of taddy joyce said peter sheridan but truth you'll get ahead backwards of the whole of us ma'am when it's a matter of recollections yet for as long as i'm in lisconnel mrs kilfoyle said meditatively i scarce think i've ever got the idea of it all clear in me head the same way i have the old place at home it doesn't seem that natural to me somehow leastways these times when i don't be traipsin about much the lie of the land gets moided up in me mind as if twas wid a mist risin but clonmena now sure to this day if i'm lyin awake in the night i can be goin over the whole of it lighted up in me thoughts same as i used to and i a slip of a lass sleepin in the bit of a room away under the thatch lookin out above the front door wid the river runnin by sure i knew every inch of ground it flowed over and whilst afore i fall asleep i divert myself threadin the fields and all along it as if you were slippin your beads through your fingers first it's in our couple of fields that's the one of them nother and long-shaped and the other of them scooped out hollow and round like a sort of nest and the both of them as smooth and as green as the moss shining in the cracks of this old stone and then across the end of young conroy's meadow below the high bank and the hawthorns atop and after that off with it under the dark bridge on the borisk road and spreadin out on the grey gravel beds and among the clumps of cress tis but a poor hungry bit of land all tussocks and ragweed 
till it runs round the hill-foot among the firs and gets slithering away down and down past the smothered stones and the brown roots and the fern leaves dripping and the stems tumbling aslant making for the bottom of the deep glen and in there it does be shut close wid the trees roofing it overhead and the little path waving up and down alongside it all the way to the old mill at kildrum so a bit beyond it it takes out into the river coolinaw no less that's a powerful width of water saints alive sure i could be following it along blindfold or if it was the wind i heard comin rustlin by the other way i could tell where it was goin wid itself keenin up the boreen behind the house and out on the big steep pitaty field and beyond that again over the grass slopes and the sheep browsin and the breath of bracken and furze bushes till the great cliffs go down at your feet slap into the sea like the wall of a church tower when you look over the edge you might think there was the white wing of a gull just fluttering at the bottom but musha all the while it's the foam of a big wave rolled in fit to lift you off your two feet supposing you were anywheres it could get a grab at you you'll hear the sound of them comin up ivery once in a while like as if twas the river stoppin to take breath but it's the flow of the river i do be missin most out of it these times when i'm rememberin it to meself i've a notion i'd get a great weep entirely if ever i come within sound of it again for twas the last thing i'd mind afore i dropped off and as like as not the first thing i'd hear in the mornin would be our creatures of ducks flusterin into it one after the other off of the flat steppin' stone and i'd up wid me and out to see to gettin in the eggs goodness guide me twas only the other day wakin up i thought i heard me poor mother callin chooky chooky to her hens as natural as could be and it just mrs pat huntin home her little goat i dunno what ud romancin i have said mrs kilfoyle interrupting herself but this while back i've nothin only them far gone days runnin in me mind seems like as if there must be somethin real queer ahead of me that hinders me thinkin forwards End of section seven